Hey, what up? This is Zach Guilford from Midnight Mass, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Pastor. Pop Culture Pastor. One one of the things I re- one of the few things I like about reality shows, because I really don't like reality shows. Reality shows are terrible. It depends on what you're labeling a reality show. Because t- evidently, because I just watched a documentary, um, American Gladiators was a competitive reality show. Oh, no. They threw the reality label on it. And they if did? You, if you throw the reality label on it, then sure. I love American Gladiators. I, that's revisionist history. I think they're just throwing that on there to act like they were at the forefront of something. That was not a reality show. It was a game show. That's what I would have labeled it as, but they threw reality on it. Yeah. No, I disagree. Their first reality show was Real World. That was the real first reality show. Ew. And then, you know, MTV, and then it created this whole craze, and then you get things like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and uh, Survivor and all those things. Um, and I really don't like them because my problem with them is it's not real because they people act like they wouldn't normally act because there's cameras on them. With one real exception, when they get upset. Yeah. When they get upset, that's when you see the real person coming out. Now, I'm talking about this because, first of all, have you heard of this show, Claim to Fame? I've never even heard of this show. Okay, so I thought you were going to say you were re-watching episodes of For the Love of Ray J, but evidently <laughs> not. <laughs> Ray J? Yeah. Is that like Brandy's half-brother? Or brother? Is it full brother? I don't even know. Brandy? Like yeah, you know, the singer? Yeah. It's either a Moesha? Bro- <laughs> it's either a brother or a cousin. I don't even know. It's been too long. Is he still a thing? For the love of Ray J, yes, he is. <laughs> no, he- I was not thinking about that. Nor was I thinking about Flavor Flav's uh, dating show either. Oh, that one was fun. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, the only time I find reality shows good are when someone completely loses their composure. And then yeah. you see real. Um, and that apparently happened on this show, Claim to Fame. Now, Claim to Fame, this is weird. Claim to Fame is a show where uh, they have a bunch of people on who are related to someone famous. It's almost six degrees to Kevin Bacon, but it's just one. Which, goodness, this is a recipe. Like, these people know, this, this studio knew what they were doing. Because these are people close enough to fame to, to smell it. Yes. And probably want it desperately, but aren't as talented as whoever they're related to. And like, so the desperation comes through and boy, did it ever as uh, on, on the first episode, uh, Tom or not Tom. Yeah. Tom Hanks's niece. Like Tom Hanks has nieces. That doesn't sound right, but I guess it makes sense. <laughs> sure. Why not? Tom Hanks shouldn't have nieces, <laughs> uh, but he does. And her name is Carly Reeves. Or we could say Chet Hanks cousin. And, and like, basically there's this competition and the, the other people that are on the show try to guess their claim to fame. And like the show gives them clues and anyways, this dude figured it out. He guessed that she was related to Tom Hanks, and she did not take it well. It just kept getting worse, dude. Um, She's screaming and crying. It's like, 
talking about how they shouldn't have shown the park bench. Uh, name another movie. I mean, she's like full on crying and like throwing a tantrum. And I was like, how old is this lady? Well, apparently, I mean, she's old enough, but she got sent home first. and She did not like that. That's why she should have not gone with Tom and gone with Chet. <laughs> she could have said, I'm related to Chet Hanks. <laughs> yes. Uh, prop culture pastor favorite Chet Hanks, uh, who we still would love to talk to on the show. Chet, call us. Uh, call, have your people call our people. No, she just goes on this tirade and just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And finally she says, I deserved more screen time. And I'm like, I agree completely. <laughs> I want an entire show following. Just put a camera behind her. Follow her around. Like, I want to know, is she wanting to become like an actress or just wants to do like the Kardashian thing where you're famous for being famous? I don't know if we can if we can take the pastoral route here for a minute and try to empathize with her. Like this is the desperation I'm talking about. I wonder what it's like to be that closely related to someone who is worldly like wildly famous like Tom Hanks and how that make might make you want that, I guess. I mean, I don't even know. That just seems so foreign, like such a foreign concept to me cuz you know, obviously I'm not related to anyone famous. I'm not either unless it's somewhere a long ways down the line. And then I want my money now. But I would guess that it would kind of mess you up. It could mess you up. I mean, she's a good looking lady. I would imagine that like famous historical figures, like especially royalty, that that's probably why I feel bad for Harry Prince Harry, mm -hmm. like he knows he could never be the king. Like literally William's whole family would have to be like, we don't want the crown. We want you to have it, Harry, for Harry to even have a chance at it. So like the fame and the potential of being king is like right there, but yet it is so far removed I have almost as good of a chance as Harry does. <laughs> so, like, and she sees the fame of all the Hanks, Tom, <laughs> Chet. Well, Chet would be another good case study. The brother that actually does act that looks but exactly Tom. like Tom. <laughs> but isn't Tom. Yeah, right? he's not Tom. He looks like Tom. Um, he gets cast in quite a few things, but, like, I, I can't even, it's Colin. That's I, his Colin name. Hank. I would love to get both of them on because I have a feeling that Colin probably just deals with it better of not being his dad. Like probably deals with it, accepts it, realizes he's never going to be that guy. But that must be hard. Like, that, like look, we, we, we have fun with Chet Hanks a lot on the show. We do. But honestly, he's living a life where he's reacting to his dad being like this mega star and him not being that talented so right like you know and part of that talent i mean is tom hanks mega talented probably i guess but there's a part of that that's just lightning in a bottle right he got connected with great directors and great scripts yeah i mean there's probably a lot of people that could do what tom hanks does but just never get the opportunity yeah 
I've been known to do a pretty good Forrest Gump impress- impression, but... <laughs> so if you're listening Hollywood <laughs> casting directors, uh, just give Cody a shot. Yes. Give him, give him a shot. We'll, we'll have you do a monologue later. <laughs> uh, anyways, I have no idea what this show is. I've never heard of the show, but something about it uh, makes me want to watch it. And that something is Tom Hanks' niece. I just want to know what other famous relatives are there. Like, is Gary Busey's nephew? Well, there? right. Now I feel like now I want to tune in just to watch and see whatever, whoever else is related to. But I know no one's going to melt down like that. Judging by all their, I watched the clip. And judging by all their stunned reactions, now they're going to be hyper aware of it and they're going to take it well. They're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go very civilly now, but I'm going to have a meltdown off camera, not unlike Tom Hanks's niece. Anyway. Poor Tom Hanks's niece. Uh, if only it would have been Chet. Um, <laughs> everybody would have recognized him, though. He would have been the first one off, too. And he'd been like, I deserve more <laughs> microphones. <laughs> like, yes, you do, Chet. <laughs> Uh, this is Pop Culture Pastor. My name is Dave. Cody's here. I am. And we're here, uh, well, to hang out with y'all. That's what we do. We are. And, um, yeah, we talk about pop culture things and our fandom, and uh, you're here on a special day because we, later on, are going to talk about the best TV and movie dads we can think of in honor of Father's Day. That happened, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, no, I mean, it was a week and a half ago. I don't know. Whatever. It was last Sunday. And by the time you listen to it, it might be two months from No, no, Father's no, it was, a sun- it was two Sundays ago. You're right. It's, it's in the past. Look, we were really busy, you guys. <laughs> or we are well ahead of schedule. And all these stupid movies keep coming out. Uh, speaking of uh, stupid movies, uh, let's talk about James Cameron. Jimmy Cameron? James Cameron does one movie about the Titanic, and all of a sudden, this dude's a deep-sea diving expert. But really, he is. <laughs> I don't care if he really is. Why? Like, okay, people died in this sub. They did. And why is James Cameron... This article from NPR says, in a series of television interviews... Cameron said he had suspected all week that the Titan had imploded on Sunday. Like even the way they, even the way he talks about himself and the way other people talk about him makes, he's so unlikable. Um, So the thing is with the old Jimmy Cameron is he actually has like connections within Los Federales. uh, And unimpressed. Like, so he had connections with uh, the guy that helped discover the Titanic, who literally, that was a cover story for something they were doing with Russia, the Cold War back in the 80s, uh, that they were looking for it, but then they actually found it. Um, and then Jimmy Cameron evidently has sources still within the government and it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the the feds were just putting on a charade uh, to. He's insufferable because they they heard the implosion. Listen to this. He told ABC News this quote: "We understand from inside the community that they had dropped their ascent weights and they were coming up trying to make. We understand inside the community. Listen to this guy. He's just like I can't. 
I can't with Jimmy Cameron. I can't. How many people are in the community? That's part of my question. It's a community of one. It's James Cameron. Um, so the amazing thing with James Cameron is like, yes, he's super insufferable. Yes, Avatar keeps stealing from Fern Gully and Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender. Pocahontas. And Pocahontas. There's a lot of films that Jimmy's borrowing from. But, like, he does these weird, heroic things at very random times. And so, as this story's bubbling up, you get reminded of he almost single-handedly saved Guillermo del Toro's dad from being kidnapped or after he got kidnapped. And then he also nearly killed Harvey Weinstein. It's like, he's like, you remember those commercials with the most interesting man in the world? Yes. He's like that guy, but like, if you didn't like him. Because the guy in the commercial seems like you'd want to be friends with him. Yes. But James Cameron comes off in this completely different way. And like, I yeah, I'll, I'll admit, dude probably knows what he's talking about. He says he he's made 33 dives to the shipwreck, to the Titanic shipwreck, even calculating that he spent more time on the Titanic than its own captain did a century ago. Because, of course, he calculated that. Out. Burn notice. <laughs> <laughs> 100 years in the making. Oh, man. Jimmy Cameron. Uh, I will say this about James Cameron. Don't don't change. Don't ever. This might be the one that this quote here. This this is the one that kind of sends me around the bend. He says this, I'm struck by the similarity of the Titanic disaster itself, where the captain was repeatedly warned about ice ahead of his ship, and yet he steamed up full speed into an ice field on a moonless night, and many people died as a result. And for a very similar tragedy where warnings went unheeded to take place at the same exact site with all the... I can't even finish this! He's so <laughs> pretentious! <laughs> like, dude, people died. Can like I, we get it? The dude leading all this made some bad decisions. He did, and people died. And you, you wouldn't have made those decisions. We got you. I think that's the part that's a, that annoys me about it. Is like, are you just doing the interviews to say, well, I wouldn't have done that? Well, of course you wouldn't have. You're Jim Cameron. Yeah. I just feel like it's such a petty interview to give, right? Like if you, if, if that was all you were going to say was, well, I, I, I surmised this days ago and I just wouldn't have done that, which is basically what he said. I'm just paraphrasing what he said. So Jimmy C, as I like to call him, or JC as the Utes call him. Um, <laughs> I Nobody mean, calls him. <laughs> he literally might be the only person you actually could interview and bring on. Well, so, who? Jim, James Cameron? Yes. He wouldn't waste his time with us. No, I'm saying he's like the only person in this scenario that you could really interview, like that would have any relevance. Oh, yeah, I know. He's qualified. I'll give it to Like, he's not lying. Like, just, otherwise it was DiCaprio. I just, why, why does it have to be him? Why does it always have to be James Cameron? I don't know. But again, it was either him or DiCaprio, and James actually has gone down to the wreckage. Well, let's uh, let's go from uh, – this is a good segue from the pretentiousness of James Cameron, who probably does know what he's talking about. I'll give it to him. 
Yeah. Because I'm not a bitter person. Although James Cameron does kind of make me crazy. He's um, like in my top five of people that make me lose my my Christianness. <laughs> it's because of Avatar. <laughs> and I'm I, I will offer grace in this situation and be like, okay, well, he knows what he's talking about. And if if he is a little insufferable, it's just because he just does knows, he believes, he's confident in what he knows. Proud of you, James. Yeah, that. Um but let's let's steer this to a different kind of pretentiousness. And someone I, I like, an actor I like, and The Flash has ruined him, maybe. And that's Michael Shannon, who played General Zod in oh. Man of Steel and The Flash movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know um, Michael Shannon. He shared in a recent interview with Empire Magazine, he was talking about how he turned down a role, an undisclosed role in some Star Wars project. Um, and he starts talking about his reservations about large Hollywood franchises. I don't blame you. And uh, he said he said this. He said, I don't ever want to get stuck in a franchise, and I don't find them interesting. I don't want to perpetuate them. If I'm making something, I want there to be some kind of purpose to it. I don't want to make mindless entertainment. So he's saying all this after he's done The Flash and as it's coming out, which is like, oof. The world doesn't need more mindless entertainment, he says. We're inundated with it. Mm. And finally, someone asks him specifically about The Flash, and he starts talking about Man of Steel, where he actually you know, kind of liked the story. He said the movie essentially explores a civilization that destroyed their own planet, believes the solution is to, to destroy another. And when you hear that hypothetically, if we destroy the Earth, we might go live on Mars. It's the same thing. I didn't view Zod as a villain. I simply saw him as a character tasked with protecting his people. So he saw depth. Yes. But, but then he starts talking about the Flash. Quote, I won't deny it. Personally, it wasn't entirely satisfying for me as an actor. These multiverse films are akin to someone playing with action figures. It's like, here's this person, here's that person, and they're fighting. It doesn't offer the same level of character exploration that I genuinely felt Man of Steel provided. <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> Although it's the same story, though. Like, he's General Zod. He's there to colonize a new planet. Yeah. That, but, I mean, but he is a cardboard cutout in the yes, Flash movie. There's absolutely I mean, he, no depth given he, to him. That storyline's like four or five layers into the the main one. It's not... Yeah anything that's of relevance it's just kind of there in the background his character in the flash is like a big it's like a evil boss at the end of a level of a video game and the evil level or evil boss at the last level that you can't beat because literally <laughs> yeah they get they don't beat him yeah yeah well the, yeah don't get us started on the flash again it's a weird movie it's the the more I get away from the Flash, the more I look at it and go, that was a that was really an odd movie, as far as the uh, the angst, like the the grab of the situation and the res the resolution is just a, it was just a strange resolution. That's how Flashpoint is. If you do anything around Barry's mom and he alters something, the moral of the story is he has to unalter it. And if he doesn't change it exactly, then there's still ramifications and he has to go back. And then 
You have other speedsters that are there that are actually the ones killing Mama. In but that's like that. I think that's my point is that in the comic books where it's ongoing, the story's ongoing. It makes more sense because they deal. The characters continue to deal with the repercussions of that. So there isn't a resolution, right? Well, there doesn't need to be a resolution to that. Whereas the movie where this is it and the resolution is George Clooney for no apparent reason. <laughs> Redemption like, of George. <laughs> you're just like, this is so weird. And you throw Nick Cage Superman into it. And I'm just like, I'm not sure what I'm watching here. Well, the death of the DCEU. And Michael Shannon agrees with me. He's like, that was weird. <laughs> That's a, probably a quote in there. I'm not going to look for it, though. Yes. Uh, while we're on the subject of DC, we should talk about the big casting news as uh, James Gunn has found his Clark Kent and Lois Lane for his new Superman legacy film. Uh, David Cornsweet has been tapped to play Superman. Uh, do we know anything about David Cornsweet? He was in the movie Pearl. What, now, what's the movie Pearl? Um, oh my goodness! Like who's you, in that? Mia Goth. Yeah. No. So there was legitimate outrage that she didn't get nominated uh, for like big time Oscars and our other awards because this was a horror film, but oh, it's a weird okay. one. Okay. Um, and like he did good. And it like it's very centrally focused on Mia Goth's character Pearl, but uh, he no he's in that. That's like the main thing I've seen him in, and so uh, otherwise, the only other thing I know about him is that when asked like what his dream would be success wise, he said, "I want to play Superman." Yeah, well, and he it came to fruition. He looks like a young Henry Cavill, to be honest. I mean, he looks just like Henry Cavill, except younger, which I don't know what that says about James Gunn moving away from Cavill, except for the fact that if he wanted to make a younger, like, because Cavill's got a receding hairline. You mm -hmm. can see that when he's got his Superman hair going on. So I get it, but at the same time, like you knew you were going to ruffle feathers because the DC fandom is so divided, and there are the Snyder people who really, really wanted those characters to continue. And so it's weird that this dude looks just like a young Henry Cavill. I think he looks like Henry Cavill crossed with Jon Snow. Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. Okay. Yeah. Like... He has though that kind of look. He's a younger do younger dude, um, and relatively unknown. Kind of unknown, yeah. So like, I will, I'm I'm suspending any sort of thoughts really that I have on it, other than I think he looks the part. Which, hey, great. Uh, who I want to talk about is Rachel Brosnahan. Okay, who was picked to play Lois Lane? She is in a little show called. Um, the f is it the fabulous Miss Maisel? Yes. I see it advertised nonstop on Prime movies and series that I'm watching. Like, you need to watch this. And I'm like, don't make me watch something. I'll watch it if I want to. Yeah. So, oh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, not fabulous. Marvelous Miss Maisel. Now. Alliteration. I wouldn't know anything about this girl. 
except for my wife loves the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, and, sweet. And and so I have thoughts oh. about this casting. Okay. I think, th- and this is going to, you're going to be shocked here because I've been worried about James Gunn in this Superman movie. You and your James hatred. I, I don't hate James Gunn. Gunn and Cameron. What did they do to you? I don't hate anyone. I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, I think that this young lady, Brosnahan, uh, what's her name? Rachel, Rachel Brosnahan. I think the potential is there that she could be the best movie version of Lois ever. I think she's perfect. She's uh, plucky, like in her role of Mrs. Maisel. She's uh, very fiercely independent. She's got like that Lois Lane energy going on. And so when I saw that they picked her, I actually was like, okay, she could like, listen, I'm going to say something really crazy. If the DCU is, if you're comparing it to the MCU and this is the first movie, how crazy would it be to say she could be the Robert Downey Jr. She could be the character who's really kind of engaging about this first movie and Clark could be good, but I think she's that good of a choice for this role. Is she better than Terry Hatcher? Oh, by far. I would have said the best version of Lois up to this point was Margot Kidder from the Christopher Reeve Superman. Cause she had that same, she had kind of the same energy of a, that independent feisty Lois Lane, but she was a little too gruff. She smoked like two packs of camel non filters a day. <laughs> like she was a little too much like the eighties mom. Like, Hey, get over here, kid. You know, <laughs> that was a little hard to get past at times. But she she had the right energy for Lois, and I think that this girl has a little bit more of that energy and is a little bit less 80s gruff. <laughs> like, so, don't get me wrong. Margot Kidder was, was fabulous looking. It's not I'm not making fun of her, uh, but she just like was a little scary to a kid who liked Superman back then. She was that kind of that kind of gruff. I um. Yeah, I have no worries about this project whatsoever. Yeah. And none at all. None at all. And total confidence. Total confidence in James Gunn since he's writing and directing. You don't think he could be a little too James Gunny and make it kind of weird? I've seen uh the uh are, are you what are you gonna you gonna bring up the the evil super yes. thing? But that was he didn't direct that. He produced it. He wrote it. Okay, but he didn't direct it. He wrote it. And so, yeah, no, he, I'm, I'm good. Brightburn. Brightburn, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, I think his reverence for the source material is there. I think that his casting, so far, it looks great. The rumors that one of the Skarsgård brothers could be Lex, okay, Dude, if you it's Bill, have my money. If it's Bill, just take my money. Take, uh, that, like, listen, if like if corn sweats an unknown, and then you have Rachel Brosnahan as Lois, and you pick Bill to be Lex, I, I'm I'm ready to go into that movie thinking we might have two of the best three actors for those three roles ever, and corn sweats an unknown, so we could end up being the best, like. This that would be really 
exciting casting for me. I'm I'm pretty excited with this casting, to so be honest. The rumor is it's Alex and Bill are at the front. Alex it would be an older Lex, and he might be too perfect, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, too suave. But yeah. Bill, he has an edge to him. Yeah. I wouldn't be super disappointed with, with Alex, but... Yeah, like like you said, it it it's weird to me for him to be a lot older. Yeah, than the these two. Alex is like in his early forties. Yeah, he and he he's not really a guy who could play younger because he's he's got gravitas, man. He does. Um, yeah. Anyways, I think overall this is good. Overall, and I think if you're not a Snyder person. <laughs> In which if you're a Snyder person, you were like you're like been grumbling this whole time. Oh yeah. And you'll get over it once the film's great. <laughs> okay. Uh Cody is not wavering from his confidence. No. Um okay. Team Gun. Let's uh let's talk about Secret Invasion just briefly. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> Have you watched the first episode? Yes, I did. Okay. Just broad, what did, what did you think? Um like I like spy thrillers. I'm okay with them. Mm-hmm. I I think that spy thrillers are kind of like cowboy movies that yeah. you either like it or you don't. Mm. And right now it's probably uh waning in its popularity. Yeah. Um but like the cast is phenomenal. Might be the best Marvel series cast we have. Oh yeah, I would agree. With that. And I, I said it to you, and I do not back off the comment that it's like an HBO level cast for at least episode one. See, I thought you were being insulting. No, it's an HBO level cast. Oh, okay, like you have some actors that have some gravitas, are more selectively with their roles, and then you actually have someone from an HBO mega series uh, in it. Um, but I felt that it was a little underwhelming, but the Marvel shows do tend to take a while to build up, I think. So, like, I'm not, like, throw away all your Marvel stock now, but it kind of needed to be a home run if it was going to gain back some of the people that are like, these series are trash. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's got to pick up pretty quick because there's only six episodes. Yeah. So they can't they can't spend the first three episodes just being set up. Like, this has got to pick up pretty fast and take us on a ride, I think. Otherwise, and you've got already people calling it Marvel's Andor, <laughs> which... <laughs> Um, I th- so I think you're right. I think people are kind of getting tired of the, the political spy thriller, you know? Um, but I, it had enough to grab me in the first episode. Um, but I do think the concern of no heroes in it, it could like, it runs into that agents of shield problem where the reason most people weren't interested in agents of shield is because you're never going to tie into that larger universe and use the heroes it's going to be human bound. And the thing about secret invasion is, is in the comics, this was a big deal and it involved scrolls as heroes. Like they were, they had kidnapped or, you know, taken captive real superheroes and then were pretending to be them, not these, you know, humans in government. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, even in this where it's more in the government stuff in the earth, but 
you better rant, you better ratchet up the intrigue pretty quickly. Otherwise you're going to lose people. So like, I mean, war machines really the only hero in this so far. And like war machines, not anyone I really care about. <laughs> he's not really a hero. He wears a suit and he's yeah. not as interesting as Tony Stark. And he's not as interesting as iron Patriot. Um, well, I mean, Iron Patriot hasn't been in the MCU. I know. Oh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, but the reason I brought that up was I wanted to talk about this has been a Marvel thing too, where they're using existing stories and basing stuff off of it. Uh, it kind of made news this week headlines that the director was told not to read any of the Secret Invasion comics from Marvel. And so, again, you're using the name of this big story from the comics. And then you're actively, I mean, you know, it's going to be different. You know, it can't be exactly be the same, but this is a beloved story in the comics. So, so I'm, I, it's confusing to me. The thing that the I think the character, no, <laughs> the thing that I loved about um, Netflix's the Sandman is it was very comic accurate. And the changes that they did make yeah. were respectful to the source material. Yeah. Um, like, Constantine becomes Johanna Constantine. And I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. Um, and so it's very subtle changes. It's not like, oh, now we have completely disregarded the realm that dream rules over and he basically runs a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> That's basically what they've done to, to this story. If you remove heroes. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the problem. The problem is, okay. So you put this on Disney plus, if you would have made this into a movie or a series of movies, would you have been able to use heroes? Cause like, if it's just that you're turning it into this because it's on Disney plus, then we're not, then people have a reason not to be interested in the Disney plus stuff. It doesn't, it lacks the promise of what you had on the Disney plus when you started with WandaVision with Scar Scarlet witch in the vision. Then you went to Loki and you had Loki, you had Falcon and the winter soldier. Like they were from the movies. And then since then, You've completely moved away with it. And we've talked about this a lot where like, look, I liked Moon Knight. I find Moon Knight interesting, but most people don't. He's a little too out there. He is very fascinating to me. And I would love for them to make several uh, right. seasons. But you understand he doesn't have mass appeal. Yeah. And if it doesn't have mass appeal, then people aren't going to watch it. And it's going to be a problem for the future of it. And, and so then you end up making a secret invasion without heroes and it's all agents of shieldy. It's very agents of shieldy, but just Sam L. Jackson, which I'm here for Sam L. Jackson. The but. cast is great, but yeah. is it enough? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll definitely probably talk about it on uh future pods since we're not doing our watch along on that. If you didn't listen to watch alongs, our little watch along update, then what what you missed was we're not doing watch alongs on secret evasion. No, because a lot of the stuff we just discussed where I'm a little concerned about whether we're going to like it. And it currently is trending as the second lowest viewed initial episode. Mm. 
and I don't want to do Marvel shows. I don't want to do watch alongs on things that I think I, I will have negative reaction to. I want us to be positive, and yeah. So we're doing our watch alongs on Justified uh, City Primeval, mm-hmm. which starts on July 18th. So if you've watched the Justified series, that'll probably make you happy. If you're a huge Timothy Oliphant fan, tune in. Yeah, you should, and you have time. So binge the Justified seasons. You you and you will binge them because they're that good. You'll like it. Word. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about TV and movie dads for Father's Day. Yeah. Uh, we just passed Father's Day more than a week ago. Again, we are well ahead of schedule for the next one. Yeah. Look, look give us a break. We were, we, I've been gone. I was gone for two weeks and, you know, there's all these movies coming out. We had to talk about The Flash, I guess. It, I actually enjoyed it, but I knew like, A, either there was going to be no resolution and that there really was no stakes because Flashpoint is this event that Barry really can't have it all. Yeah. Or it was going to do what it should have done if you wanted to connect to the DCU, have it reset everything. But instead, it was the death nail. And hopefully, I won't have to think about it anymore until yeah. the DCU. Well, we don't want to talk about it anymore now. We're not talking about that. We're talking about famous TV and movie dads. Some uh, of the our Flash's dad was a famous dad. Well, like <laughs> in the TV series, it was John Wesley Ship, who was also the dad in Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Dawson's Creek. <laughs> that was a that was a big scoff. <laughs> he was a good dad in the Flash, but he's you know wrongly uh, accused of murder. That's kind of the story of the Flash. His it dad is. is in prison for a crime of murdering his mom that he obviously didn't commit because we know it was the reverse Flash. People that saw the movie and aren't familiar with the comics didn't know that, though, and they didn't bother to tell you. You never know. It's because if it would have made a billion dollars, they would have made a sequel. Like, okay, side note. (laughs) I told us, we, I said we weren't going to talk about the Flash, but we're going to talk about the Flash because this doesn't make sense. He's the fastest man alive. He went back in time. It didn't occur to him to go back into a part where he could actually see who killed his mom? No. I'm just going to get there right after. I'm more concerned about just saving her life. So weird. So weird. He doesn't have the skills to fight off someone yet. He didn't know it wasn't a, he didn't know it was a superhuman. It could have been a real person, like just a real regular dude. And he could have stopped that just as anyways. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Why? Oh, the the DC movie doesn't make sense. What a shocking development. None of them make sense. I, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie, a DC movie, and thought, well, that was logical and made sense. Shazam? Hey, you know what? Probably. Shazam's probably the closest, for sure. But everyone complains about it. I loved it. Zachary Levi. I don't like Zachary Levi. It's like, why? Because he makes you laugh? Because he's entertaining in some way? Okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, keep go. We'll get ready for Aquaman 2, though. I'm not. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> Enough. We got to get away from that. TV and movie dads. Um, If it's a good, like, listen, uh, my parents got divorced when I was young. I've mentioned this before. So if there was a good dad on a show, I was naturally going to like it. Um, If there was a good dad, because I didn't have a dad around, I would naturally be attracted to those kind of shows and movies. Much in the same way that I was a big fan of Goonies because I didn't have any friends. Yes. I'm sorry. That got sad quick. It did. I was going to maybe make a joke and then I'm like, that's low hanging fruit. Uh, But no, we're not talking about my lack of friends growing up and how I love the Goonies because of it. Uh, But we're talking about my lack of a dad growing up. (laughs) And um, the first one that came to my mind immediately, Cody. Okay. Was Smallville. Oh. John Schneider played Paul Kent. And man, John Schneider does it for me. Like he just is a good dad. Um, okay, let's compare and contrast this with Pa Kent, Kevin Costner. Well, Kevin Costner is the best mouth actor in the game. <laughs> so with John Schneider, you're not going to get all the tongue action inside the mouth that uh, <laughs> that Kevin does. And also, John Schneider wouldn't have been caught dead telling Clark, no, don't save me from this twister when no one would see you. <laughs> that still doesn't make any sense to me. But hey, we just talked about that. Um, I feel Kevin gave great advice, even in the afterlife. He's like, <laughs> hey, I'm up on the mountain moving rocks for no reason, but let me give you some advice, Clark. I mean... Did Superman take ayahuasca? What's going on here? Why is he hallucinating his earthly dad? Because his uh, Kryptonian dad's dead too, you jerk. Yeah, but that was all science. That was technology. That's why the Fortress of Solitude, and that's why he saw his dad there, because it was tech. Well, I'm just saying, his dad's dead. There's no real good reason for a farmer from Kansas to show up to talk to Clark after he's dead on top of a mountain moving it's rocks. not logical, but it does make for a good dad. Best dad ever. <laughs> I mean, if he's speaking to you from beyond the grave, that's a good dad. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll just stop the show there. Hall of fame. Dad, Kevin Costner is pocket. If so, I mean, ghost dad tried to do that. <laughs> no, we there will can't. be no Bill Cosby. No. Yeah. We can't mention Bill. Like, you know, 1989, he probably gets to make the list. In multiple categories. But unfortunately, things came to light. Yes. And he ruined it. And so he did. We, that, that stay tuned for a later show we're going to do, separating the art from the artist. It's tough with Bill. That's coming. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, he doesn't get to make the list. But uh, the first guy I thought of was John Schneider as Paul Kent in Smallville. That's a good one. Yeah. Even though I only have watched the first season of Smallville, he seemed like a good dad. But as far as fictional characters, fictional dads go, Pa Kent is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'd go with it. Pretty much any iteration. So what, what what's a dad you thought of when we were getting ready to do this episode? Um, Mike Brady. Yeah, that's a standard. Like... He's raising three boys by himself. Three lo- three boys. And, and she was raising three girls, lovely girls. Yes. 
And then they combined to make this one big happy family. And they knew it was much more than a hunch. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what made me mad about Brady Bunch? Because I'm someone who did experience a step family, too, and and a very toxic home situation because of it. Because he was a good stepdad? The Brady Bunch is a dirty lie. (laughs) You you show me one step family. I've never met a step family that got along like the Brady Bunch did. It's a rarity. It's an outlier. That's how I'll work okay. it. Okay. I'm sure there must be someone out there. We're someone listeners, please give us your great stories about growing up in a in a step family home. I would love to hear it. Cause mine was a disaster. Cause like I've known step parents that were great, but the step kids like were very toxic in the environment. Yeah. Well, it's just the, the joining of brokenness you're not used to. Yeah. So you're putting brokenness with brokenness. And like, look, in my situation, I'm not really being derogatory. Uh, I don't hold any grudges towards anyone else in my house. In fact, I care about all of the people that lived in that toxic home. I care about all of them. And I realize now, especially that everybody was just trying to deal with their brokenness, however the best they could, but you put it all together and it just was a toxic environment. And just seems like that's going to happen with step family environments a lot. But Mike Brady, man, he made me think that it was possible. And I hate him to this day. No. <laughs> Father of the year and stepfather of the year, Michael Brady. Uh, what about Ned Stark on Game of Thrones? I, that was short lived. It was, but you can tell by the. Um, the, the character of his children, he was a pretty good dad in a world that was like that. Like, look, if our world's broken, I don't know what you classify Game of Thrones world as. That's just vicious. Yeah. That is the complete lack of anything good and except for the Starks. And it's because Ned Stark, good dad. Okay. That, that one's like a random. I wasn't expecting it. Too, uh, too much loyalty to his friends. Because if he doesn't become hand to the king and go to the king's landing, none of that probably happens to them. Yeah. Sadly. Um, so, like, I, I found lists that have, like, certain TV dads, and I'm like, they're not a good dad. No, right. Like, Al Bundy gets <laughs> thrown up there in... I'm like, he's hilarious. Oh. I love me some Al Bundy, but like, best dad? Okay, but can, we, mean, can we factor in what, what they're working with? Yeah. Okay? So like, if you factor in that Al Bundy is Al Bundy. Shoe salesman slash high school quarterback extraordinaire. Running back. Oh, running back. He was yeah. a running back. Yeah. Five touchdowns. <laughs> Extraordinaire, and then Peg is doing Peg things. Pokai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man, because I think with, for what Al Bundy's working with, he maximizes it. You get the most out of Al Bundy. He's not, he's not pretending to be someone he's not. He, yeah. just, he just wants a little relaxation out of life. He wants, he wants to not have to deal with problems. So if we go, so I'm, I'll say that he wasn't great. Yeah, um, but if we keep the wife, change the show, 
eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter, which then got reduced to eight simple rules. Um, Who is in that? That would be, um, oh my goodness. He's looking it up on his phone. That it Bear is, with us. Let, we should have some music to play while we're like deliberating. John Ritter was the dad. Oh, right. And right, he right, dies yeah. on the series because he dies in real life, but he's married to Katie Seagal, who is the wife That's of right. Al Bundy. I forgot about that. Um, and then James Gardner steps in as grandfather, grade A material. Yeah. Um, I don't know. As far as uh, you're right about the list of dads and some of them just don't make any sense. It's like maybe you had good memories of the show and you just liked the actor because I don't really understand Uncle Phil as good dad. Okay, so that was one I was going to bring up because I think he's a good fill in dad for someone else. He's a good uncle. Yeah. To Will. But he's not a good dad. He becomes a good fatherly figure in Will's life. Like, you see this in real life where there's people that, like, your kids' kids or friends are like, oh, this dude was a father figure to me growing up, and I loved him. But the kids themselves were like, he was an awful dad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, look, how did he get that big house in Beverly Hills? Because he worked too much. He worked too much, um, and Carlton. Every time Carlton's got problems, he's like on his own. He is, and don't even get me started on Hillary. She's not a functional adult. She's not. He no. bears the responsibility for that. He's not a great dad. Literally, Uncle Phil has one shining moment, and it's when Will's dad abandons him. Amen. And Amen. That shining moment lives on, and I think that's all people remember. Yes, and you have to remind them that, like, no, Carlton and Hillary are super messed up, and the only reason Tatiana Ali might have been messed up too, we just series just doesn't last long enough for us to find out. Yes, uh, yeah, that was. What about Coach Eric Taylor from Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights? Lights? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. He's he's awesome. He's he's maybe in my top five. Just what what a great dad Eric Taylor is. Um, I just he was the kind of one where I'd watch the show and be like, I wish he was my dad. <laughs> That's about the highest praise I can give was when I when when I wished uh, that that could be my dad. Although I love my real dad, um, it's just that you know we he, I didn't get to grow up with my dad, so I have this weird like kind of um, TV fantasy of like, oh that TV dad's pretty cool. I wish I wish he could I could have had a dad like that. Um, but yeah, I know that sounds weird, but if you grew up without both parents in the home, you, you kind of know where I'm coming from. Cause I, the last thing I want to do is insult my real father, but I didn't grow up with him. What, what, what else you got? Daniel Tanner, Danny Tanner. Yes. Danny Tanner. Um, he was probably my favorite TV dad growing up. Um, but that's because Full House was like probably my favorite like TV show. I think I think we have to stop right here and give a big up to Bob Saget. Yes, big ups. Uh, which evidently super sweetheart of a gentleman off screen. Like the mm. cast of that show, all the random comedians. Like they like they're like, oh, Bob would just call me up randomly and. 
Bob invited me to live on his couch when I was down and out. And Bob did this and Bob did that. And so I think the tender moments that you do see on the show, because, I mean, he was struggling as a dad, trying to work and raise three girls after his wife dies. Um, but you get the 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 struggles, but you get some triumphs and you get these moments of, no matter what, I'm always going to love you. Yeah. And so. even even the, the, the two other guys, you know, John Stamos, Uncle Jesse, and uh, Uncle, uh, what was the other guy's name? Joey Gladstone. D- Dave Coulier. Yes. <laughs> they were good father figures in the home as well. Like, they were, they were decent. What I don't understand is I'm looking at this list from Us Weekly of TV dads we love, and on their list is Tony Soprano. What? <laughs> like that doesn't even make you can't even make sense of that. <laughs> like, wait a minute. That dude was a terrible dad. <laughs> he was super broken. Like, I get he's a super broken character, but whoa. What like seriously? What is that? Uh Tony Maselli on Who's the Boss? Tony Danza, his character. He was a good dad. He was trying his best. I'm never really sure how he ended up being a, a maid, basically. I, I like what he's doing in this situation. Did they ever explain that in that show, or is you just supposed to run with it? And I don't know why it's a question of who's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> we know who the boss is. It's Angela. It's Angela. <laughs> Angela. That was like my favorite part about this show is the way Tony Danza would say names. <laughs> Samantha. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember anything about that show because I was so in love with Alyssa Milano. Um, so Angela's mom. Mo- Mona. <laughs> I remember her name. Mona. Yes. Mona was hilarious. She was the only one who didn't have a boss. She just didn't seem to care who the boss was. Yeah. She didn't care one iota what was going on. <laughs> And then, like, what was that show called? Was it Soap? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Wow. How do you even know that? You were born in 1989. How do you know about Soap? Because they would show it randomly on the weekends on, like, Comedy Central. And you could watch episodes of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny. So, yes. So that was the, the main reason that I watched it was because Mona was funny. And mm-hmm. then... Again, Tony Danza pronounces words funny, <laughs> especially people's names. What about Dan Connor? Were you a Roseanne fan? I was a Roseanne fan. It was sad when he died, but then he didn't really die. <laughs> um, so it kind of undid that sadness. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best TV dads ever, but he was too good. So, like, I think I could put him at the top of the list, but I didn't like the way he made me feel. Okay. (laughs) Because he makes me feel inadequate as a dad or should make every dad feel inadequate because nobody could live up to this guy. And that's Jack Pearson from This Is Us, played by Milo Ventimiglia. Of course, he he's you know dead in the present day on that show, but they keep, they, they always flash back to him. And he's impossibly awesome. I hated watching that show with my wife because I'd always feel self-conscious because Jack would inevitably do things that I don't do. 
<laughs> and I'd always like side glance at my wife at Danielle and be like, "Oh, uh, is she looking at me right now? Is she make it because he's impossible. Nobody's that perfect." I didn't watch the success, so you're carrying this one, buddy. <sighs> Man, when he dies in the fire, though, after the fire, it it's crushing because he's so perfect. He's like the perfect dad, and then you feel the you really feel the pain of all the kids who've grown up without him after having him in their life till they were teenagers, like they had the perfect dad. And then to lose him, oof, that show made me ugly cry. I don't miss This Is Us at all. Boyd Stevens. Who's, wait, who's Boyd Stevens? He is played by Harold Perrineau. Oh. He is the dad on From. You're going to go From? I'm going to go Sheriff Dad on From. Really? More so than the weird radio conspiracy dad okay. on from. <laughs> so my first impulse is to be like, no, he's a terrible dad. But the interesting thing about from is because I think they're in hell. Spoilers. It's a very hellish place they're trapped in. Like all these people are acting terrible because they're in a terrible circumstance. But yet his son is... Well, the show begins with his son being upset and uh, estranged from him, but he still tries to have a relationship with him. He still goes out of his way to to connect with the son, and uh, he's willing to do a blood transfusion to save the son's life, but first he has to get rid of the nasty thing that's in his arm. Yeah. Yeah, because he knows that would kill the son. This is going to mean nothing to you if you're not watching from, and you're probably not judging by <laughs> the amount of talk there is about this show. But um, if you like just weird shows and and vaguely or not vaguely, but horror esque, like there's some really gory stuff early on, especially mm-hmm. in the pilot and in the first few episodes. Um, you'd probably like this show. It's on what's it on now? It's on Paramount, right? Yeah. But now, I mean, I watch it on Hulu, I think. No, Prime. I watch it on Prime. Yeah. It's watch it on Prime through the Paramount app or through Epics. I don't know. It's on something weird. I know that much. But yeah, Harold Perrineau is like the big name, you know, mostly everyone else unknowns. Yes. Um, Which, by the way, season two finale. No spoilers. I haven't watched it yet. I was gone for two weeks. I got to catch up. Uh, What about continuing the run of great DC dads? Also, honorary mention to Alfred, Batman's butler. Yes. uh, Who wasn't a dad. But but, he stepped in. But stepped in. Yeah. He's he's like Mike Brady-esque. Yes. Alfred the butler. Um, But continuing the, the like kind of adoptive dads, like Paul Kent. What about Joe West? Jesse Martin in The Flash, the TV show, who, you know, after oh yeah, after uh, Barry has lost his parents, essentially, because his mom dies, his dad gets accused of the murder and goes to prison, it is Joe West, uh, Jesse played by Jesse Martin in The Flash show, uh, that kind of takes him in. Mm. And he's just an overall good dude. He's, a, he's on the police department. He is. He's a detective. Just a good dude. Um. Always is looking out for Barry. Yeah. Even though he's not Barry's dad. And he does a good job with his daughter. Yeah. Great dad. Um, 
So I'll go random TV dad. Okay. Um, the dad that was on um, Smart Guy. Oh wow! What's wait? What what is that? Okay, so uh, there was the the hit show Sister Sister. Oh. <laughs> so they're real. Was life. that a hit? That was okay. Um, so their real life brother was the smart guy, and so he was a little <gasps> oh, kid that went yeah, to yeah, high yeah. school. Sort yeah. of, sort of Webster esque. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm. 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 It's. It's coming back to me. Um. And so small, small guy. Well, that's because he actually was a kid. Yeah. Well, no, I know. But like, so he was like supposed to be in like maybe middle school at most maybe ele- upper elementary school and then went to high school. But the dad on that show, he was doing his best making uh, money, paying bills and looking out for TJ, trying to make sure TJ got the best education, got set up to, to be in the best situation. Um, but like TJ's other siblings, not as smart. Mm. Well, that's a tough situation. It is, especially since they all went to high school. Real talk, um, being a good dad means not putting the same expectations on all your kids. Yes. You see those parents that have like the flat set of rules and expectations for all their kids, but you're not taking into account that all your kids are different. And so like I learned this through coaching. I'm so glad I got to coach basketball before I became a parent because I learned that like everyone's got different buttons to press. And if you want to maximize their potential, you have to treat them all differently. And that's a weird thing to say as a parent. Um, but as a parent of four kids, I have found that to be true that I'm, I'm constantly working with them differently. And I do have different sets of expectations. And sometimes the, the way the rules works aren't totally even across the, the line either. You know, because it's they're they're all different, and that's you know obviously uh, don't murder anybody. That's yeah, a, that's a standard don't. rule all the way across. I don't want them to break commandments, but um, I'm talking about little things. Yeah, and you know some kids can handle things and some can't, and so that's a good that's a good observation to make. Yes, because the way he treated Marcus was completely different than the way he treated TJ, but he still loved both. Equally, it just was displayed in different ways. Um, Carl Winslow, I think, is another good TV dad. He's he's TV dad now in the commercials. TV dad. And I love that he's the TV dad in the commercials because he just shows up with the puppy. (laughs) (laughs) He is lovable, is Carl Winslow. Even on that show where he was kind of grumpy. Yes. But but Urkel was always hanging around, so I could see why he was grumpy. Um, Like, he, he... there was an episode where Eddie and Waldo get profiled. Waldo. That's not his name. Say his name. <laughs> no, don't say his name. Oh, he had a nickname. Yeah, don't say it. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> this is a family yes, show. Yes, this is. Side note, how did they get away with that? <laughs> I don't know. It was the 90s. <laughs> um, but yes. So he, he, I was like, I wanted to be like, I don't know who you're talking about. Was he known by something else? <laughs> but no. So he, uh, they get profiled and he goes to the police officer that profiled them. And since he's on the force, 
this could cost him his job, but he stands up for his kid and his kid's friend. Um, and it's like, hey, quit profiling, jabronis, in more words or less. <laughs> and then he's always having these nice moments with the daughter, Laura, and yeah, they're, they're having family moments that are good. Just Urkel keeps coming over and frustrating him. Yeah, let me tell you why I like Carl Winslow as a dad better than Uncle Phil on Fresh Prince. Because Carl Winslow is never portrayed as a perfect man. No. Th- th- that's never a part of the conversation with Carl. He makes mistakes all the time. His wife points it out but and he, his mom. But he remains super loving. Mm-hmm. And I dig that about Carl. Uh, do we want to mix in some movie dads? Let's go to movie dads. Uh, uh, Clark Griswold. I'm here to say good dad. His kids, even though they don't seem like they're going to, I bet they grew up pretty well adjusted because Clark makes lots of mistakes. But one thing that's never in doubt is how much he loves his kids. So like he gets blinded by doing things for the family. Mm -hmm. He wants things to be perfect. That's what leads to all these problems. And like he gets too consumed by it. But by the end of the movies, every movie, he's like, Oh, it's really just about the family and yeah. being together. And he always learns that lesson at the end. Christmas vacations, uh, you know, a good a good part of that. He yes. actually admits in Christmas vacation at the end to his dad. He's like, "Our holidays were such a disaster, and I just wanted to give everyone the perfect holiday." But then, for someone who admits that his holidays were a disaster, he's crying over old movies of those old holidays. He is, and so there's something to it. It's like, hey, quit trying to be perfect. Mm. Just just be loving. Be you. Okay, I'm going to go with a perfect dad, though. All right. On mine. Who's the perfect dad? Atticus Finch. Wow. I mean, probably, yeah. Um, Hall of Fame dad? Yes. Which, compared to Gregory Peck's other famous dad role in The Omen, uh, yeah, definitely like grade A caliber dad. Yeah. Let me tell you who it might be the best dad. Like if you get in a, in a pickle, this might be the dad to have. And his name is Brian Mills played by, uh, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson from the movie taken because he has a particular set of skills. And if you get in trouble, he's going to come find you. And then he's going to find the people that captured you and he will find you and he will kill you and he will (laughs) rescue you because that's what he does. Like, if, you, if that's your dad, do you just feel like, mm, she seems awfully ungrateful. <laughs> yes. She gets taken again. Um, like, what but, in the world? By the third movie, everyone and their mom has that set of skills. <laughs> You're about to be taken again. That, that, those sequels I never understood. Um, John Q. Oh, wow. Yeah, Denzel. Yeah, Denzel in this movie, which... Is it based on a real life story or loosely? I feel like yeah, there was a yeah. a loose adaptation. I mean, it's very dramatized, you know. Um, he's like, I'm going to shut down a hospital so my kid could get the health care he deserves and needs. I feel like that those depictions do have a bad reaction, though, when people watch them. Because Hollywood movies and television shows are full of, like, the parent who will break laws if it comes to it to like 
fight for their children. And like, I feel like that translates to bad behavior by parents <laughs> in the here and now. Cause like, yeah, I want that to be my dad, but then it yeah. doesn't translate to the real world very well. Then you've got like, you know, kids getting in trouble at the high school and their parent coming in like, you know, like a wrecking ball. It's not the same. Like this kid was literally dying. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Quit trying to make your kid struggling in high school because uh, they're trying to discover themselves and have independence trying to make them the victim and you being the righteous savior. They don't need it. Let them flounder. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about the, uh, the criteria for some of these lists, because this list lists Jack Burns from meet the parents as a good dad. I'm what? Like, he's terrible. No, his years in the CIA have made him completely paranoid. And and they address it in the movie. No one's ever going to be good enough for his pancakes. Um, yeah, that's so, not good, bro. So I have a question. Okay, is this dad a good movie dad? Okay, and it's a beloved character for, mm-hmm. for me, Henry Jones Senior. Oh man, that's tough because he's played so brilliantly by Sean he Connery. Is. <laughs> But Henry Jones Sr. And and like, look. They have a heartfelt moment at the end. There's this question of like, so we live in a time where parents, like there's so many helicopter parents where their kids are in a bubble. And what what uh, Jones Sr. would say is, and he says in the movie is, I taught you independence. And he says, no, what you taught me was that, you know, people have been dead for 2,000 years were more important. Junior. And I learned it so well, you know, like, yeah, I don't know because clearly his only friend was the dog. It (laughs) it depends on how you are grading it. Like, do you grade it on your kids, how functional they are and special? Like uh, Henry Jones Jr. is a pretty special human being. Yep. Um, Now, was that, is that nature or nurture? It's probably a little bit both, maybe. He just had something, some parts of him were going to be outstanding if you, if we're pretending he's a real person. Mm-hmm. And um, part of that independence and adventurer spirit was brought on by a dad who let him, took the reins off him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm torn. I'm torn. Uh, and, like, you also have to judge, is it, like, over the entirety of the... I guess the character's life. So you would have, because yeah. in the, th- the third movie, they do talk about like literally Indy's only friend was the dog. And that's why he goes by Indy. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that Indiana Jones cannot have a good relationship with a loving relationship with a, a female, because maybe he just doesn't understand what love and commitment looks like. Thanks a lot. So, I mean, you could go Professor. there. Jones senior, but, um, at the end they have this loving moment. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, he's a good dad. It's (laughs) never too late. It's never too late. Um, so if we go back to Batman, Thomas Wayne, 
I mean, yeah, what well, DC dads seem to be good, right? And then they some they get lost by some of them. And so I'll even go the the foster dad in Shazam. That guy is yeah, like just one big lovable sweetheart. Well, foster parents in general are pretty heroic just for doing what they do. Now, not everyone has great motives. And not everyone executes it to this guy's yeah. standard, which well, he is Jerry from The Walking Dead for me. Let's be honest. The foster kids in Shazam seem a lot easier than, than what you're Except usually getting. Billy. Billy is a cranky Gus. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be devoid of all the brokenness that you're going to have to deal with as a, you know, a foster family. Yeah. It's like that takes a big time commitment. So props to everyone who fosters kids. But Shazam doesn't, I don't, Shazam does a great job of depicting a loving foster parent relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I will say that, but it doesn't give you a real full lick besides Billy of what they would have to deal with and how, like what you should see in a foster family is that commitment to loving someone and taking them in and saying, I want you to be in my family is often an ongoing difficult process. Very much so because of the level of brokenness. And so that should be celebrated. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just even by the choices they've made to get to that point there, he's probably, you probably gotta be recognized. A DC dad that's trash is peacemakers dad. (laughs) Um, if you ever watch that series, yeah, you'll get it. What about Chris Gardner played by Will Smith in the pursuit of happiness? Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, That one is great. And based on a real life story as well. Yeah. I love that movie where he gets the job and he's walking down the street I also like I ugly cry at the scene where he's they have to sleep in the bathroom when they're homeless mm. and he's got his kid in there and you feel so vulnerable and someone's trying to get in and he's like praying they don't and like that pain you feel as a parent where you know you can't always protect them but you're praying that you can in this moment wow that was powerful powerful stuff the kid's also very funny well it's Will's real kid well, I'm just saying the kid's funny in that one. <laughs> um, this list has Daniel Hillard from Mrs. Doubtfire. Robin no, and I'm he's like, a bad dad. <laughs> and a creep. Yeah, that's pretty much the reaction I had. I was like, wait a minute. Like, if you, I love the movie. It's great. Robin Williams is hilarious. It's funny, and- <laughs> but he's not a good dad. That's the whole point of the movie is when he gets found out, it's big. That's a big problem. He almost gets his kids taken away completely. So, yeah, that one one was weird. Gomez Adams. Yeah, okay. Like, I mean, it's a peculiar family, and so you're dealing with, like, peculiar parenting style, I guess. But, Mm. um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to judge. They're so weird. I think that's the point. Uh, your daughter might be murderous, and your son is uh, kind of, you know, super introverted. But sure. Marlon from Finding Nemo. Great dad. Great dad. <laughs> uh, 
uh, let's see what other movie dads. I'm I'm just trying to run through some here because none of them are really coming to mind. But uh, Mufasa, Mufasa is another great movie dad. Um, why why do all the good dads die? That seems to be uh, like the the catalyst for a lot of stories. When Bruce Willis finally becomes a good dad in Armageddon. He dies. Harry, I love you. Greatest Ben Affleck line ever. Yes. So, um, yeah, uh, he's he's a good dad. What about uh, Darth Vader? No. <laughs> and I, I'm still bothered by them going in and CG, CGI editing in uh, young... Darth Vader in the end of episode six. Let's go Star Trek. What about Worf? <laughs> Worf the good Klingon dad. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm running out of ideas. Do we have any more obvious dads we're missing from our best fathers in, in entertainment list? I'm sure there are. Um. Okay. I got one. Okay. Um, I mean, Andy Griffith, probably, probably He's so old now though. Yeah. So that, that's a dated one. He's completely unrelatable. Okay. Now. So I got two. Okay. One's a movie. One is a TV series. All right. Um, so first one, the movie Sandlot. Uh, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, the stepdad, the stepdad who the s- stepson at first is like, I hate him. But yeah, then but he's terrible. He doesn't have time for him. He does after the whole Sandlot incident. Yeah. All right. It was a turning point in the relationship because the kid was a pain. I'm going to get Dennis him a, Leary was a pain. I'm going to give him an incomplete. We don't know enough about what happens. Um, but then I will go with a series that sounds like Schlitz Creek. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. Eugene Eugene Le- Levy Levy's character Johnny Rose like he is trying everything to keep his family together sl- sl- let his kids succeed he was a cruddy dad for their whole childhood and he admits it during the series so he tries to make up for it while they're living in a hotel in this yeah. town that they own but they don't like he's a good dad Right. Yeah, so he, he redeems himself through the series. He, he plays a good dad in other things, too. He's like the only redeemable character in, in American, American Pie. Pie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can get on board with that. And if I remember correctly, um, John Ritter on Scrubs yeah. was JD's dad. Okay. And then when he dies in real life, that creates this... Oh my goodness, it's one of the best episodes of Scrubs because Dr. Cox and uh, JD's brother both have to console JD and they don't know how because they're emotionally stunned men. And uh, the guy from the Flash series that um, he is actually like the the bad guy, but he runs the lab. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, JD's brother from Northern Exposure. That's where I remember. Him yes, from. he is on Northern Exposure. I can't remember well. his name, but 
He's great in everything he's in. Yeah, he's one of those guys where I don't understand why he hasn't gotten more work. He should be in more things. He was in Yogi. What's Yogi? Like the bear? Like the stupid movie they made out of it where he was sort of like a... Yeah, yeah. Live action? It was sort of live action, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you the best dad. Okay, I got one more. Guido from Life is Beautiful, played by Roberto Benigni, about the World War II, the Nazis, and he gives like his son, like he convinces his son it's all make-believe. Like mm. as a parent, he like totally takes this awful, like just imagine the worst circumstances to have your kids in, in a war situation where you're in danger and convince him that it's all make-believe. You, you set up a, a fantasy world for him. Like, have you ever seen that movie? I have not. But what you just described, it works until you find out that it is. Yeah. Not the case because there's a documentary about twin brothers and one of them develops amnesia. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, they, 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 yeah. The twin lies about their childhood and paints it as a rosy, beautiful picture. And in fact, they were abused, neglected, and yeah, life was miserable. Well, I won't uh, spoil the end of life is beautiful for you. Don't do it. <laughs> this is a quote from the movie You're such a good boy. You sleep now. Dream sweet dreams. Maybe we're both dreaming. Maybe this is all a dream. And in the morning, mommy will wake us up with milk and cook. I can't even finish it. I can't. Oh. I can't. So uh, t- the weird thing is World War II movies, they get me. Because, mm-hmm. like, if we were doing moms, the mom from Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh, Scarlett Johansson. Her death makes me cry. This isn't father-related, but you should watch Empire of the Sun, Spielberg. It's one of Spielberg's kind of forgotten movies. Yes. It's World War II-related. Uh, young boy gets separated from his parents, British parents in Hong Kong. That's a weird the, place to get separated. Well, a lot of British there. It was a British colony in the J- Japanese. It was. Uh, invade, and he gets into an internment camp. And, man... You there's some tear jerking. Is that Christian that. Bale? See, it is Christian Bale. His first like that's his big moment as a kid, and it, he's amazing. He's like one of the best child actor performances I've ever seen. Haley Joel Osment is rolling in his grave at this. He's not dead, <laughs> and um, I would put Christian Bale's performance in Empire of the Sun over Haley Joel Osment in everything. Yeah, I, I'm like, look, Haley Joel Osment's talented, but. Christian Bale in Empire of the Sun was amazing. There's a scene where he's been in the internment camp for a long time, and uh, he's really into airplanes. And the Americans are, like, bombing the base. But some of them are landing in and around the internment camp because it's part of the base. And he runs up to the top of the building because he's so excited. He's he's like, P-51, Cadillac in the sky. And the doctor, uh, who he's who's kind of the doctor in the internment camp who's kind of taken um, over of like trying to parent him runs up there because he's in danger. Like there's bombs falling and you're on the top of a building and he's like, he has to shake him because he's so like, he's a kid who's excited, Mm. but he's like manic and he shakes him and, and, and Christian Bale's face goes from this wild manic excitement and it goes flat. And then he just says, I can't, I can't remember what my mother looks like. And Oh, Oh, Ugly cry, Cody. 
ugly cry. The doctor's face is like he's horrified, and he just embraces him, and they're mm. crying, and the planes are flying around and shooting and bombing. And oh man, you should watch. Everybody should watch Empire of the Sun. It's great. John Malkovich is in it. He's wonderful in it as well. Being John Malkovich, uh, it's totally Spielberg. All right, who? Are some of your favorite TV and movie dads? I'm sure we miss some. I know we missed a lot, just because that's a wide category. Yeah, and we're just kind of we're just kind of going off the cuff. We just wanted to talk about some dads that we liked. So yes. what are, what are some dads you like? Let us know, and uh, on the social media, we'll interact with you and say, hey, you were right. We missed that one. Don't say Tim the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> oh come on, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad, Dad. He. He had his moment. He's just a dad. He's who just loves his, a dad. He loves his kids. His and kids are insufferable at times. It has a wonderful neighbor that gives him great advice, and yeah. that's why he's half the dad he is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, next week uh, we'll be back to review Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So I will have watched to. Crystal Skull by then against my <laughs> will and judgment. You're probably not going to need to, but go ahead and watch it. All right. We'll see you then. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Share our posts with your friends uh, so we can build a community. We'll see you next time. Pop culture pastor.